Hi, this is John. And today on the podcast, before we get started, we want to give parents a heads up that we are going to be talking about something that uh, you may not have had conversations with your children yet. So you may want to use this opportunity to listen to the podcast before you do. We do know that several families listen to the Theocast and we're thankful for that. Today, Justin and I are going to be covering weakness, sexuality, and the gospel, and how often our culture is trying to press upon us that if we hold any other position but their position is barbaric. And how is it that we can come in using the gospel and present something that is refreshing and leads people out of bondage back into joy in Christ? And in our members podcast, Justin pulls out a very interesting proverb where we are warned that if we engage in sexual deviancy, that we can carry around that shame. How do we understand that from a covenantal reform perspective? And also how the church has failed in explaining God's purpose for sexuality. We hope you enjoy. A simple way for you to help support Theocast and join the Reformation is by shopping at Amazon. That's right. Everything that you purchase there, they will take a percentage of it and donate it to our ministry. All you have to do is go to smile.amazon.com and then search for Theocast Inc. and choose us as the supporting donation. To learn more about this and other ways of supporting us, you can go to Theocast dot org slash give welcome to theocast encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in christ conversations about the christian life lively as they may be from a reformed perspective Today's hosts are Justin Purdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina. And I'm John Moffitt, pastor of Grace Reformed Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee. And we have a lively conversation for you today. But we're going to start with Justin's pro-con. These have turned into, uh, I've learned some stuff about my host that I had no idea. Uh, today is one of these ones that I'm excited about. We normally don't do conversations about the pro-con before, but today we did. And mm. I... Could not agree with him more, brother. Oh, man. JP laid on us. Yeah, John. Sorry, I was feverishly writing on my whiteboard, and we haven't even started the episode <laughs> itself yet. I don't know what that right. holds for the future. Listener, beware. Yeah, it could be a spirited mm. conversation today, and I hope a good one. And I'm going to just go bit. ahead and and kick us off and come in from the top turnbuckle with our pro con for the day. So I am pro. Christians exercising their civic duty as citizens of this country in which we live and going to vote. I think it's a good thing to do. Yep. Absolutely. It's something we should do, right? As as citizens yep. is this a reform two kingdom understanding, you know, as citizens of the common kingdom, we should exercise our responsibility, steward that well. So I'm pro if You don't understand Christians that? Go voting. buy go buy Van Drunen's book Living in God's Two Kingdoms. Living So there's a yep, plug for recommendation. That. Man, the, the pro con is turning into all kinds of things. You get a book recommendation for free. I am con. Boom. I am con. Making how a person votes, for example, this coming November, a test of fidelity to Jesus, or mm. making how a person votes a test of Christian orthodoxy and biblical fidelity. It's there's a lot that I could say. I have strong feelings about this, strong opinions about this. I just think it's very clear that whenever we elevate something that is at best, maybe a secondary tertiary issue at best, 
and we elevate it to a level of primary importance and a test for whether or not you're in the faith, I think something is clearly awry, and I will leave it there. Mm. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's uh, in this in this day and age with social media and news and people saying all kinds of things. Uh, there's two things that are lacking. I think we aren't using a biblical, uh, I think, understanding of politics and uh, our role. And secondly, we're, sure. <laughs> we're lacking grace. So yeah, there is a tremendous uh, lack be, of grace. Gracious. Sure. Yeah, let's be gracious. So, well, today is uh, I think a unique conversation. Once in a while, we get, but we we call in on whatever morning we we're going to record. And we start having conversations about what we've been preaching, um, things we've been thinking about, really stuff that's heavy on our heart. And then we yeah. think about how can this benefit our churches and how can this benefit those who are going to be listening. And today is one of those subjects that I think are very, it's a heavy subject. Uh, there's a lot that could be said. We're going to be challenged to to try and keep this within the, the lot of time that we have. So that being said, I'm going to stop sure. talking. And JP, I'm going to let you bring us in. Yeah. And just public service announcement, like disclaimer, this intro might be a little intro to topic might be a little bit longer than normal. And I've already green lighted John to just jump in and trample on me uh, at any point that he feels like he needs to. Um, yeah, we were talking this morning about what we could discuss. We had several things that I think we were eager to talk about. And this mm -hmm. came from, um, essentially a sermon that I pre preached recently in our church. I'm, I'm preaching in the early chapters of Proverbs and there's a lot yeah. in Proverbs. We'll link it in, about, the, in the notes. Yeah. There's a lot in Proverbs about sex and our sexual lives. And, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes the church is thought of as, as being this sort of prudish place where we don't talk about sex and it's taboo. Well, mm -hmm. the reason that that's the case is not because of the Bible. The Bible is not silent on these matters. And mm -hmm. you know, God has revealed a number of things to us in his word including what we might call a biblical sexual ethic. And by that I I mean that there is a framework in which we are to express ourselves sexually and we are to enjoy the great gift that sex is. And that framework, that context is the covenant of marriage. It's one man, one woman in covenant relationship. And we get that from from God's word and we believe that it's genuinely good for us, right? Because God has, has told mm -hmm. us that this is how we're to live together and this is how we will flourish. And I just want to be really clear before we even launch into this conversation, that biblical sexual ethic, it's important to say this in our current cultural moment. It is not about being holier than thou. It is not about power or oppression because so much of the rhetoric and dialogue in our culture today is about those things. It's always kind of this, this framework of power and oppression. This is not about that. This is not about imperialism or some sort of like patriarchal way of thinking. But it's it's clear that in our culture we've reached a moment where a biblical sexual ethic is seen as savage. It's seen as barbaric. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. There's a number of ways to illustrate this. Um, I, I mentioned this in my sermon intro the other day. Uh, there's a new hit song by an artist named Cardi B. It's called WAP. I don't need to go into what that even stands for. You people, the listeners could search it if they wanted to. It's a tough read if you look at the the non-edited lyrics. And there are a number of things that song says, but it's being celebrated by many as like a a sex positive anthem for women, you know. Mm. And 
I bring that up to even illustrate a point that it sounds insane to the modern ear that we would ever limit the expression of our sexuality or that we would ever say that there is an appropriate framework in which it is to be expressed, right? Because the religion of our day, and maybe it's always been this, John, in in the history of humanity, but the religion of our current cultural moment is certainly something like this. You know, look inside yourself, see who you are, go be that person and don't let anybody stop you, you know? Right. And Which then, it should not be, I mean, to Justin and I, I would say we wholeheartedly agree that this is not uh, a surprise to either of us or the no. Christian, the Christian should not be because the Bible makes it very clear that through the fall of Adam, all kinds of sin shall come Absolutely. and has happened for thousands of Absolutely. years. So this isn't the, this isn't the fault of the United States. This is the, no. the fall of man. This is, this is fallen human culture. And Right. So here's the thing. Like, let's be really clear. Sex is really good. It's a great gift from God. I mean, we may talk about this some later. There has been a tendency in the church to depict sex as a less than good thing, which has been very unhelpful because that is not at all how the Bible presents it. But sex, as good as it is, it's powerful. And like any good and powerful thing, whenever we use it in a way that God has not designed it for, it becomes very self-destructive and it produces like unbelievable amounts of pain in people's lives. Mm-hmm. And you see this everywhere. I mean, like if, if we just right. look around within the church and within the culture, people are hurting be- because of this. And so we think that a way that we can mitigate that pain is to stop everybody from ever saying anything about what we might be doing sexually. And then we need to get everybody to like, applaud what we're doing and how we seek to express ourselves. And we need to get everybody to agree that nothing that I'm doing sexually could ever be wrong. And somehow that That's will right. mitigate pain, but it doesn't work. And I think another thing, just by way of setting this whole thing up, John, I think if you, if you look at fallen man, there is, within all of us, there is a haunting suspicion that God's law is right. And we don't want it to be in our flesh. Yeah. And so we think, you know, in addition to what I just said about mitigating pain, we think that we can somehow keep God's law from accusing and condemning us if we just speak really loudly over it, right? Or we think that we can somehow escape the accusing and the condemning nature of God's law against our sin. We can escape that by running as far and as fast as possible away from it, just screaming and celebrating our freedom as we go. And it's very clear that it doesn't work. And so this is, last thing I'll say is this is where the difference between Christians and the world, the difference between the church and the world is not that we have our house in order sexually and the world doesn't. (laughs) We actually, the difference is we understand that we do not have our house in order and we are trusting Christ. We should understand. We understand that we should, well, right. But yeah, but I'm just going to say it for the sake of presentation. The difference between the church rightly thinking is that we know we don't have our house in order and we trust Christ for that. So we're looking to Jesus for his atoning work that is satisfied for our sin. We're looking to Jesus for his obedience and his righteousness that's counted to us by faith. And so then that is the only way that we can actually stop God's law from accusing us 
and condemning us. If we seek to silence God's law or to stop that accusing and condemning thing that God's law rightly does to us, any other way we will fail. It is only in Christ. He is the only answer. And Jesus and his work for the Christian allows the church to stare God's law in the face. And we're going to talk a lot about the uses of God's law. We can stare God's law in the face and assess what it actually says to us about our sexual lives. And we seek, Christ has paid for the failings. We've been adopted by God. We've been counted righteous in Jesus. His holiness is counted to us. All of those things. We're safe. You know, and then we strive by the power of the Holy Spirit to conform our lives to what God says is good. That's that's how the church approaches this issue. And right. there's a lot more that I could say, but I, I think that's a yeah, long no. enough introduction. Let's chop it up no, a little bit, good. man, about about these things: God's law and sex, and, yeah. and the church, and Absolutely. everything. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a very helpful introduction. Thank you, JP. I, I want to say that one of the things that I see in our current culture, and when people call it savage and barbaric, this is why we as Christians have, I think, failed in the communication of pointing out the error of um, sexuality in our cultures. Uh, It's, you know, Noah tells us, I'm sorry, uh, God God tells Noah in Genesis chapter six of what the sexual ethics shall be for all of humanity. So this is not for Christians. This is for all of humanity that they are to procreate, right? One man, one woman together. Uh, and there's really only two, really two commands given to all. This is part of understanding two kingdom theology. Van Drunen's book is very helpful here. Uh, but uh, bloodshed and uh, sexual ethic is given to all yeah. of humanity. And and when uh, when an inappropriate uh, sexual culture uh, begins to revolutionize, what they don't understand is happening is that they're falling into bondage. And That's Christianity exactly right. comes, Christianity comes in, and says. Nowhere else in our society do we want to try and identify ourselves by a particular act. Um, you know, I you don't really see people. You will you will see them identify as a human being, and then they will explain what they do as a human being. I might be a politician. I might be a lawyer, a doctor, a stay home mom. You know, mechanic, whatever. But we try very hard because no one wants you to accept what they do for a living. But they want you to accept what they do, which is the unacceptable. And their their conscience knows it. The law in their hearts know, know that it's wrong. I watched a video recently of um, parents who are concerned because these videos are popping up on their children's iPads. And they're, they're really trying to make normal for our culture things that the Bible has said that is uh, bondage. It, it is enslaving. It is anti-God's nature. It is anti-God's law. So as Christians, when we come in and speak to this, we need to understand that we are trying to free people from bondage. We are not here to condemn them. We are here to preach God's law in its full weight. But we do so as the as the New Testament gives us that position of with grace and mercy, because if it were not for the grace of God, we too would fall into the same bondage. And we, and we as Christians have, and often do fall into bondage to sin, which is the Galatians six, one comes in and says to restore such a one with what Justin, a spirit of condemnation, gentleness, 
Gentleness. Right, lest ye too fall into sin. So I would exactly. I would say on both sides, our culture has failed <laughs> um, in pressing in on this, but we shouldn't be shocked. But Christianity, I think, has failed in our response where we don't need to get up and preach angrily at these people. We need to get up and preach with a, with a spirit of compassion and mercy saying, oh, but you don't understand. You were trying to justify your position. And all we're saying is you're actually in bondage and you don't know sure. it. No, that's right. While we're talking about ways that the church has been less than helpful before we maybe pivot to some more constructive comments. Right. Many listening to the podcast will be familiar with the term purity culture. Uh, purity culture was and still kind of is a thing in the evangelical church. I mean, you can think about the, um, you know, especially John, what would you say? Maybe the 90s might have been the, the peak of this, the 90s and the 2000s. Yeah, I kissed dating goodbye. When there's one yeah, that came out, jo- that was a really Josh big... Harris's stuff and, yeah. and the, the real emphasis on like um, a different dating culture in the church over and against a, a secular dating culture and things like this. And um, I think in its poorer moments, the, the purity culture rhetoric could almost be reduced to something like this, that for a younger person in particular, you are a good Christian if you have a quiet time if you do not look at pornography and if you don't have sex, like yeah. that is the definition of a good and faithful Christian. And right. in that context, you know, there's a, a lot of gospel lessness and there's a lot of confusion of law and gospel for sure, mm-hmm. you know, in that purity culture. And it's, yeah. it was, and in even still, you know, has been harmful to people. Maybe that's the wrong word. Maybe that's too strong, but it has been confusing and less than helpful for yep. many, and a number of people have been burned by it. Um, yep. And and so it, within that purity culture context, and John, I know you grew up in this. Um, yep. I did to a different extent. Um, you know, there is a, it's, it's threatening. It's always negative. Sex is presented as bad and dirty and evil. It's this thing that is to be avoided at all costs, you know, and it's, uh, yeah, at, at, at yeah. a minimum, we can say, confuses the gospel and throws a lot of clutter on top of it. That's right. Yeah, I, unfortunately, in uh, for the first eight years of my ministry here in Tennessee, I did uh, college and young adults, which means I did four to eight mar- uh, weddings uh, a summer. All the premarital counseling that I ever, ever want to do. <laughs> I haven't done a wedding in a year, sure. so that's kind of been a nice... I love the weddings, and it's all great, but that many, uh, it's... As I'm sure you know, Justin, doing weddings with families can be very complicated at times. But in these premarital counseling moments, sure. I would have with these couples, and um, what I what I begin to realize is that they had never really been given the positive side of what um, intimacy was designed right. for. It was right. don't do it till you get married, but that's it. And then that so. I would be counseling couples after they got married and there would be so many complications in their, in their marriage. And it would sometimes be centered around this where, I mean, I've had conversations with couples where they, they, the, they have a hard time enjoying it because it's only been negative. And like, so how could something that's been so negative for 20 something years of my life now be a positive? Exactly. We gotta, we gotta flip a switch and how does that work? Right. Right. So there's, there is, um, there's a failure there because 
we are trying to prevent something. And I would say that the gospel always comes in and says, this is bondage and this is dangerous, but it doesn't leave it there unless it is like always that way. You know, there's, there are certain things in our life that are always bad and there are certain things in our life that are always good. But sexuality is one of these things where the context matters. Like the context absolutely determines whether it's bondage or joy, whether it's pleasing to God or offensive to God. And what we get right is, hey, this is displeasing and bondage. But we never, and I think the level of is fine. Right. You know, it really is bondage. It really is. Paul says some very pointed things about the body and and what it brings upon our body and the intimacy and the danger of that. It's not just like telling a sure. lie. I mean, intimacy outside of marriage is very damaging, uh, not only to yourself but to to other parties involved. When it comes to the positive, this is where we have failed as a church. Now, I will say that there are certain pastors in the last 10 years to have tried to make it positive. And in my opinion, all they did is make it dirty. It, it wasn't helpful. Yeah, It was, it was right. comedy. It was comedy for them. It was just a way to shock jock people into thinking, oh, look, I'm really cool because I can say the word sex in church and it doesn't bother me. But that's not helpful either because right. you've opened up another can of worms that's not, <laughs> it's not designed for the church. Right. No, you're exactly so. Right. Wh- so, I would say the most helpful part of this, when I discovered this, and I, and I will say, I'll, I'll give Tim Keller the credit here in his book on the meaning of marriage. It was very helpful for me in trying to describe to people what is going on as it relates to the Word of God and um, the, 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 the view we should have on sexuality. And I will say that the way it's described is selflessness versus selfishness. So the world... Yeah only gives you selfish intimacy. This is the, you can choose however it is that you want to do something, and it's always you. You choose what's best for you. Well, if you look at the New Testament and Paul's encouragement to the believer that the husband is to love his wife as Christ loves the church, he's giving an illustration of selflessness. So selflessness becomes the priority of the marriage not only outside of the bedroom, but inside of the bedroom, where it is not about what I must do and what's best for me, but it is about how do I make this person feel loved and cared for as Christ loves and cares for his church. So all of marriage changes, including the marriage bed. So it's what I try and do even with my own children is I help them see the joy of serving and loving my wife as their mother and how they can look and anticipate how much joy there is. Now, listen, there requires a lot of grace on my wife's side. I'm not perfect at this. I'm horrible at this, but my ambition is to selflessly love her and care for her needs in all of our marriage, and this includes intimacy. That's just so foreign to Christianity that you don't hear that. We're excited to announce that we have a new free ebook available at our website called Faith versus Faithfulness, a primer on rest. And we, the host, put this together to explain the difference between emphasizing one's faith in Christ versus emphasizing one's faithfulness to Christ, and how one leads to rest and how the other often to a lack of assurance. 
And you can get this at theocast.org slash primer. And if you've been encouraged by what you've been hearing at Theocast, we'd ask you to help partner with us. You can do that by joining our Total Access membership. That's our monthly membership that gives you access to all of our material that we've produced over the last four years, or simply by donating to our ministry. You can do that by going to our website, theocast.org. We hope that you enjoy the rest of the conversation. Yeah. Let me pivot this slightly. We were talking about purity culture and and how bad it is, but one tendency that we all have as as human beings is to swing on pendulums and overreact to things. And I think something that we can do if we're not careful is we can throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's good for us to maintain that, that purity and uprightness is a thing when it comes to our sexual lives and righteousness and holiness are to be sought after, right? I think one of the big issues in this arena, like in so many others in the church, we talk about this all the time, is the presentation, the tone, and the tenor of of the conversation about sex and about how we are to live sexually, rather than it being this kind of condescending, exacting, threatening stuff and, and just condemnation being hurled every place. It's better right. for us, in particular, you know, as preachers, but just as Christians in the church, to to talk, to use we language, and to acknowledge our collective weakness, you know, in the right. fact that we all are weak in this area. Like our our cravings and our lusts in in this particular arena, I, I think demonstrate without any question beyond any shadow of a doubt our corruption and our fallenness. And for us to acknowledge that there is not one person save Jesus who put in the right set of circumstances would not fall sexually is important. Mm. You know, lest yep. we have this kind of, yeah, holier than thou or this condescending tone in, in our discussions about this, we need to acknowledge, as others have said, I mean, sex is the undefeated champion of the world. Nobody gets in the ring with sex and wins. And this, this helps us to then make sense of something like Proverbs. And the language that Solomon will use to his proverbial son, like in, in chapter six, he'll ask the, the rhetorical questions. Can, can a man carry fire around close to his chest and his clothes not get burned? Well, of course not, <laughs> right? I mean, right. basically Solomon's wisdom in some senses could be summarized to his sons with respect to sexual sin. Don't go there. Don't go near it. Because we all know darn well what's going to happen. You know, That's it's just right. like, don't get near it. But that's often not how it's discussed. And then like no. Proverbs 7, John, if I, if I can just talk about it very briefly, the, the listener could go and read it you know, later on, maybe today. There is, in verses 6 and following, there is this compelling, gripping presentation that Solomon offers to his son about, you know, I've looked out through the, the lattice of my house and I've seen this young man in the street. And, and basically he's, he's walking around and this woman comes to him and she's saying all these things to him you know, about how I've made my vows and my sacrifices today, but, you know, now I have come to find you and now I've found you. And, you know, I have, my husband's gone. I've prepared my bed. Like, let's take our fill of love until morning, you know? And then this, this young man goes with her and Solomon's words are, are absolutely like they're sobering, right? He says at all at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. (laughs) <laughs> you know, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. You know, and it's mm. 
the this is just i mean we could talk about this maybe for a moment god's law is good and it has so many it has th- different uses right i mean we certainly mm-hmm. see the first use in all of this that we would be driven to christ my gosh we have all transgressed god's law none of us have right. kept it how desperately do i need a savior and perhaps in, for some people listening it will be n- in no other areas of their lives more obvious their need for Christ than it when it comes to this, you know, perhaps mm-hmm. this kind of corruption sexually. But then, you know, the second use of God's law to restrain our wickedness, like basically what this is, is Solomon says, son, if you do this, it will destroy your life. You That's know, right. and we need that. We need to be reminded that this will not go well because our tendency, brother, is always, and this I think is the is Satan's MO as well. We always see the gratification that will come if we if we act on the desire. Yeah. But what yeah. we are not mindful of is the emptiness that follows it immediately and the fact that nothing but pain will ensue. That's right. You know, and yeah, sin is never worth it. I mean, that's that's essentially the message of of Proverbs seven. This is not worth it, son. You know. Right. And so well, this is a much more compassionate presentation, though, than what you typically hear. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that to to say that there aren't uses of the law is um you know, it's like to play with fire and assume you're not going to get burnt. That the the law is the the law is good, it is right. It is as David says, he loves the law of God because the law of God can and should be used to protect us from bondage. Exactly. But the motivation exactly. the, the motivation to pursue God's law comes from a position of child not to gain the seed of child. This is where we get very upset. I get upset with law preachers who say, do this or else you shall not be the child of God. And it is the father's hand on the shoulder of the son saying, dear son, I love you. And because I love you, here are things that will absolutely ensnare you and lie to you and will leave you empty. Right? And so, listen, I'm guiding you. I'm giving you a light unto your feet. I'm giving, this is the way that the law is described. It's a light into our feet. It's a direction for our path. So and, I look and at I'm this telling and you say, this because you're my son. That's right. So because the law I becomes pr- precious to the believer when they understand all is good in the sight of God. Christ is my righteousness. God does not require Amen. any more obedience Only in Christ. Of me. Amen. That's right. I have all of the earned love of God and the earned righteousness that God requires in Jesus. Now I'm free to obey for the sake of enjoying the father. I obey out to enjoy his presence, not because I must earn something. And so I think that when we understand our hearts are full of corruption, that sexuality has plagued humanity forever just read the Old yeah. Testament and the New Testament. We The church is full of sexual can, corruption in the New can, Testament. Can I just say something really quickly? A lot of times people yeah. will act like, um, I don't know, it's unique in modern culture that sex is a big deal or, right. or even like the church. Like you and I, John, by having this podcast today are trying to make sex a big deal. It's like, listen, yeah. I, don't think, I don't think sex needs our help. It has been a no. massive deal throughout the entire history of the world. I mean, Will be. read the yeah. Old Testament, like you said. Yeah. Think about Greco-Roman culture and its history. Think about how you know sexuality has been interwoven with pagan religion since forever, right? I That's mean, right. so yep. sex always has been and always will be a big deal. 
It sells. Right. People talk about it. And so, yeah, we need to we need to talk reasonably and, and compassionately about it and clearly about right. it from God's right. word. Yeah. Yeah. And we know, you know, there are people who have tried to live in a cave with no outside influence for, you know, yeah. a year. And they come out saying, Gosh. I still struggled with <laughs> lust because, that's because you were there. That's right. The the problem is not outside of you. That's this is where the this exactly. is where the real conversation has to go. The problem is not outside of us. The problem isn't that pornography exists or nudity exists. The the problem is within. And we have to deal with the problem within. Now, this is great that you brought up Romans seven. You don't throw just because the problem is within, you don't throw all common sense out the window. This is why you and I don't do counseling sure. with women in a room by ourselves because we know their corrupt sure. heart and our corrupt heart. It's just not wise. There are certain things that we do not do. The one thing I, I will want to say, and I love where you're going with this, because we understand the corruption of our heart, we have to allow scripture to correct what the world is absolutely putrefying. And sure. this is, it, when, the, when the church only points out what's wrong, that's only law. I think the gospel frees people. I think an expression of the gospel is this. We have been unconditionally loved. Mercy and kindness have been poured over us. We then can take that and love in turn in a very intimate way that cannot happen anywhere else in the world. With you and your spouse, you have the opportunity to love in ways that is glorifying to God. And that is what should be we should be focusing on here's the negative. Now here's how to turn it positive. Yeah. What the world only hears is that's horrible. Don't do that. They never hear the positive. Sure. sure. I mean, a, a brief interjection here too on on something that you were talking about earlier. And I think that one of the problems in the church, in terms of how this is discussed and presented, is there is a fundamental misunderstanding of even repentance and and how God's law might be used with respect to that. And right. so if, if, our, if the cravings of our flesh and our corruption become very obvious to us, you know, as we are being confronted by God's law and, and God's design, um, you know, I, I'm mindful again of, of how Solomon starts Proverbs. I mean, Proverbs 1, 7, you know, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Well, what is it? What is that? I mean, I, in my mind, brother, that's a verse about repentance, right? Because the fear of the <laughs> Lord involves knowing him, having reverence for him, understanding who he is yeah. and what he requires. And, yeah. and then but we need to talk about what repentance is. You know, biblically, it's something that God does to us. He repents us. And, and it's a change of mind, you know, about, about God and who he is and what he requires about ourselves and our corruption and our need and Christ in the way of salvation. And, and this is the difference. Ultimately, brother, if I had to boil it down, again, like the difference between the church and the world to frame it that way is not that the church does not sin sexually and the world does. Right. The difference, right, is that in the church, by God's grace alone, we have actually come to agree with him. Right. And so we have sided with God against our sin rather than siding with our sin against God, right? That's the difference. And so what does that do when that happens, when that, when that change of mind happens, where do we run and where do we flee? Only to Christ. That's right. Where else could we go? You know, and, and so I, I want to just stand on the tabletops and say that the only solution to 
the the painful pursuit of fallen man to escape the accusations and the condemnation of God's law with respect to our sexuality the only solution is Jesus and That's right. and so we we hold him out and it's like mm-hmm. in this area John we could maybe riff on this for a little bit <laughs> guilt and shame and disgrace Brother, well, they don't work, but guilt, shame, and disgrace are something I would wager that we all carry around with us as it relates to this yes. topic in a unique yes. way. Yes. In a very unique way. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is that we need not carry guilt, shame, and disgrace around with us anymore because Jesus has taken all of that away. That's and right. that message, that truth, never, never maybe sounds sweeter to a sinner's ears than, than when we're having this conversation. That mm. everything that I've ever done that I'm ashamed of and the cravings of my flesh that I hate and that I am embarrassed by at points. And I'm just, right. I see my corruption to know that Christ has dealt with that and that I am his forever, you know, and, and that I really encountered righteous in him and that he has taken all of that mess away from me is absolutely essential. And it yeah. is, I can't help but think, you know, as, a, as just a, a Christian, as a pastor, in an evangelistic sense, brother, this is what the world longs for. That's right. Is this kind of liberation. Not that's the right. liberation that, that's being sought in the culture, but this. This is liberation. Yeah, well, I, I know I've counseled people where they feel as if, if I'm going to, if I'm going to, if I've already given in this much, I might as well just give in all the way. Like, why fight anymore? And when you bring in the gospel and you bring in forgiveness and say, dear friend, you've been forgiven of that sin. I I know that you feel like you have failed, and because you have failed, why even try? Just give up. But the gospel comes in and says, no, you don't have to live in bondage. It's God does not consider you righteous because of what you have not done. He considers you righteous because of what Christ has done. Now let's fight again. Let's get up and fight. Let's keep fighting because there's more joy in resting in Christ than there ever would be than indulging yes. in this sin. You, This is that's the right. thing that's the difference is that as, as men who understand a covenantal perspective, a covenant of works and a covenant of grace, this, this confessional idea, we know for a fact that it's the battle between resting in Christ will bring joy versus giving into the flesh will steal joy. So every day we wake up when we fail, we go, but yet there can be hope and yet there can be joy because of the forgiveness and mercy and kindness of my God. He will come and restore me. This is first John one nine. This is why we must confess our sins. It's not it's not if you sin, it's when you sin. I said this uh, a while back that God expects you to sin. Otherwise, why would he not command you to repent? He demands it of you. Repent. He knows you're going to sin. So what I love is that when people discover the gospel and understand that resting in Christ is not on their performance, but Christ, they actually have the energy to keep fighting. Even though they keep failing, they're not going to give in because joy can be found in resting in Christ versus being enslaved to sin. Yeah, absolutely. And we say this stuff all the time too, but it it's worth repeating in this conversation that our pursuit of of obedience and our pursuit of righteousness and uprightness when it comes to how we conduct ourselves sexually 
is always grounded in our identity That's as right. children of God. It's it's always grounded in our identity in Christ. It's grounded in our status as justified and safe, you know. And and like I alluded to earlier, the posture of the Christian is to confess that I don't have my house in order on my own, that I have sinned, I have fallen, I look to Christ for my righteousness and, and my atonement, and I look to him to take away my guilt and shame. But then I seek by his Spirit's work in me to, to have my life conformed to God's good and holy law. That, and it's, it's not threatening, and it's not right. scary. It's not oppressive. Right? It's, can it be hard in our flesh? Sure. But we understand right. that sin is not worth it. And that, that this, like you just said, brother, the pursuit of what God says is good within the context of freedom in Christ actually brings joy and, yeah. and, and lasting peace, you know, and, and will save all of us from a thousand things that will break our hearts and destroy our lives, you know, and, and we've all seen this happen where mm-hmm. like the wreckage that, that, that using sex in a way that God has not designed, the wreckage that that brings is a unique kind of wreckage and pain. And yeah. like Solomon, you know, even as pastors, I mean, when we talk about this, rather than screaming at people, I mean, or just as Christians in the church, rather than screaming at people and shaming people and guilting people, let's talk this way that, mm. you know, that you're, you're safe in Christ and brother, or sister, like, I love you and I don't want this right. for you. I want good for your life. You know, I right. want to. I want to keep you from pain. You know, sin will always rob you of joy, and you will always, always be searching for this sense of it being acceptable. This is what. This is what the culture, and even in there's Christianity. You know, remove any kind of homosexual or any other kind of sexual deviancy that's out there. That even sex before marriage is there's a pressure of you need to be able to accept this and make it be okay with it. And I will say that. Yeah. That that what the world's really looking for is is they want that feeling of being accepted. They want to be they want to be a part of something that is good and they they want their sin. This is what talks about in the New Testament where they turn what is evil into good and good into evil, yeah. right? They want their evil to be accepted. And what we can come in and say is that acceptability you were looking for can be found, but it can't be found in the way in which you are pursuing it. That's this so is true. why it great, always leads us. Go ahead. No, it's a great observation, right? That the the unconditional acceptance that people are looking for, it's offered freely to us in Christ. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So when we when I interact with people who are in these circumstances or struggling with this, um, the gospel is foolish to them, but. I don't allow that to distract me because I know that the power of the gospel can come in and and give that acceptance to people, but they have to lay aside, as Paul says, we have to die to everything. We have to die. And right now we're talking about acceptability within um, you know, sexuality, but this applies. It, it can apply in your parenting. It can apply in your career. It can apply in your yeah. gender. We want to feel accepted by what we do. But the only acceptance that we will ever feel is in what Christ has done. And then when you live in that, that, that you, can, you can let that wash over you and you wear that guard, you put on that robe, you feel that acceptance of God, you don't want anything else. 
you want to shout it from the rooftops. Did you all know? <laughs> Did you know this existed? Word. Did you know you can have this? Did you know it could be for everyone? It changes everything. Amen. And I think maybe a, a parting shot, and then I might tee up something for the, the members area. Yeah, um, absolutely. A parting shot would be, and this is not my opinion or John's opinion. This is what we can pronounce and say to the listener and say to one another based upon the testimony of God's word. That, like to the saints who are listening, I don't know, John doesn't know everything that you've done, but we can promise you beyond the shadow of a doubt that you cannot out Christ's power and ability to save you, you know, and that is a wonderful, a wonderful thought for- and May I interject? You don't want to try because it's miserable. <laughs> No, you don't want to try. But for it's those miserable. who are, who, are, who have a tender conscience and who are thinking, brother, you have no idea what I've done. You're right. That's I don't right. know what you've done. Now, I could surmise it. I'm not surprised by very much, you know, as a, as a pastor, even knowing my own heart. I'm just not surprised by very much. But you will never, if you are trusting Christ, you will never out his power and his ability to save you. He will not lose yeah. you. He will not fail you. That's right. I think something that we could talk about, John, in the members section you brought up, you know, a covenantal framework and things like that. I think there's some there are some verses in Proverbs chapter six, one in particular, that mentions how um, the the man who commits adultery will have wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will never leave him. And people might look at that and think, well, what? How do you reconcile that with the gospel that you guys mm-hmm. are talking about, and how Jesus takes away sin and shame and guilt? I am convinced that a covenantal framework helps us answer that question quite quite oh, easily. Man. And so perhaps we could start with that in the member section and see where else that conversation goes. Well, the other thing, the other conversation that I think we want to have in the member section as well is how the church has been confused on what its mission is. It's not to fix the sexual yeah. culture of the of our city. It's not. Uh, nope, it's not. But how what what is the purpose and what's the result of that? So there we go. Excellent. So there's a couple of good topics for the members podcast. So John and I are about to make our way over there. And if you're listening and you're newer to Theocast, you might not know what we even mean by a members podcast. It is a part of our total access membership at Theocast. And you can find more information about that membership and what all it means for you over at our website, theocast.org. We've got some good things to discuss. We look forward to having the conversation. We hope that as many of you as possible, make your way over to the members area and partake and listen in on that conversation with us. We will talk with you again next week. 